to Totalus Rankium. This week, Partial Spartacus. Hello and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. Is that right? <laughs> yes. The Roman Republic, yeah. Um, oh, that's a good point. It's kind of both. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not Emperor. Roman. It's just Roman. Okay. Hello and welcome to Roman's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. <laughs> and I'm Rob ranking... Well, we're not ranking today. Uh, we're interviewing. Interviewing all of the hosts of Partial Historians. And uh, yes, this is Partial Historians. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. Oh, we, uh, we need to sync up better. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> yes, uh, this is an episode, in case you've not heard our Slave Revolt episodes, uh, this is an episode where we're going to be talking about Spartacus, uh, but more Spartacus after death rather than Spartacus in life. Uh, and we, we've got some Spartacus experts in uh, to chat to. Uh, so uh, this is Dr. G and Dr. Red. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Yes, uh, so I'm Dr. G. Uh, I'm one of the co-hosts of The Partial Historians and... I am a real fan of Spartacus, but I've come to Spartacus late in life, it is fair to say. And the reason why I've come to Spartacus at all, I think, is uh, the power of Dr. Rad, my fellow co-host. Yes, I am Dr. Rad, and I have overexposed Dr. G most cruelly to Spartacus uh, <laughs> in the last 10 or so years. Uh, I happen to have watched the movie Spartacus in my teen years and that apparently meant that I was destined to study him for the rest of my life. So uh, my doctorate ended up being in Spartacus, so I'm, I'm very excited to chat to you guys today. Nice. Okay, so uh, we're going to, um, just like we did when we interviewed Sag thing, we're going to start with uh, a quick fire round just so our listeners can judge you. Um, <laughs> so uh, who would like to go first? Ooh, okay, I'll, 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 I will volunteer as tribute. Okay, uh, I think I have your questions, so are you ready? I am okay. ready. Okay, don't, don't stress. Um, but... <laughs> you, can see, you can see the sweat from here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> j just know that if, if you answer them wrong, um, I, I, I don't know, nothing happened last time that was too bad. No, so. just, just undercurrent of judgment. Right, <laughs> okay, here we go. First question, lemonade or Coca-Cola? Ooh, I think lemonade. Okay, interesting. Um, uh, <laughs> Republic or Empire? Uh, Roman, just to clarify. Of course, Empire. <laughs> Evil, all the way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Next one. Uh, techno or Jungle? Ooh. I'm going to go Jungle. It sounds way more dangerous. <laughs> Does I, I, I'm just going to say I have no idea how to answer that one myself but <laughs> I, I threw it in there uh, <laughs> uh, Lost or Game of Thrones? Oh, Game of Thrones okay. Andy Whitfield or Liam McIntyre as Spartacus? I feel like this is impolitic to say so because I could really score points with Liam but I am going to go Andy Yeah, yeah. okay Yeah. yeah. Any reasons for that? Look, he I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Liam. I still would love to interview you one day. Uh, I do want to talk, but I'm sorry. Andy was just better. He was just more Spartacus to me. Fair enough. Okay, uh, and last one. Uh, buried alive in a crypt or thrown in a river with a sack and a chicken? <laughs> the last one sounds much more Roman, but I'm going to go for the crypt. 
Okay. I, yeah. that, that's long and drawn out, though. Yeah, but you see, I feel like I've watched enough James Bond that I might be able to escape. What if I put a chicken in the crypt as well? Ooh. Actually, that's just feeding you, isn't it? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he says, I'm a vegetarian. Ah, disaster. Uh, well, company then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, I think you did all right there. I, I think so. I think so. That wasn't too yeah. bad. Okay. Nice, nice. Right. Jamie. Right, Dr. G then. Okay. Um, so, vanilla cola or cherry cola? Cherry cola. Well done. You've passed. Aztecs or Mayans? Aztecs. Oh, why Aztecs? <laughs> I know more about them. <laughs> that would be my answer as well. Um, free jazz or avant-garde jazz? <laughs> avant-garde jazz. Avant-garde, ah, yeah, like a bit more Oh yeah. no like, rules approach. Yeah, if we're going to do okay. jazz, make it all surprise. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, back to TV series, House or ER? Ooh, neither. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that's that's not. I don't think that's if an option. Choose one. Oh, really? Oh. Go for George yeah. Clooney. Go for George Clooney. E-R. <laughs> There's an Australia. There's an Aussie in uh, in house. I don't mm. care. You can't have an English. You can't have an Englishman in the lead of a television show and force him to use an American accent. I find it offensive. <laughs> he was highly paid for his troubles. Uh, <laughs> right. So, Crixus. <laughs> Crixus is a character, there's HBO and there's the 1960s version. So is it Manu Bennett from HBO Crixus or the 1960s John Island Crixus? It's going to be Manu Bennett Crixus all the way. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh. He's beautiful I, I think to it's me. The realism. Of the... <laughs> He's also more Fair geographically enough. realistic for us. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> better better age as well, I guess. Um, and. And final one, would you rather be blinded in one eye or have your nose cut off? <laughs> have my nose cut off. Yeah, we said the same. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I don't... Was there a winner there, Jamie? I don't think there was a winner. Uh, no, I don't think no. so. Okay. <laughs> We're all winners here today. We are. Okay, right. Well, there we go. Now everyone knows you a bit better, uh, but mm. maybe we should actually... Uh, get to know who the Partial Historians is a bit better. Uh, so, Partial Historians, it's a podcast. It's about Romans. What, what is it? Why did you start it? Is it fun to do? Uh, yes, it is a lot of fun to do. We, we started it because we were friends and we'd both just graduated from university and we were sitting around at a girl slumber party, as you do, and uh, talking about I our, can't our future. can't say we do very often. <laughs> <laughs> Missing out. They're great fun. I oh, recommend them. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't really know what our future held, but we were fairly certain we probably were going to struggle to find jobs in academia, uh, but we didn't want to lose touch with all the, the history that we'd learnt and all the skills that we'd learnt, and we decided we were going to start a podcast which at the time, there were about 10 podcasts. And so we, it took us a while to learn exactly how to do it and what our options were because we were always doing it in the midst of jobs, family, etc. Um, but gradually, very gradually, we have kind of learned a bit more about how to do it, I think. And, and we do really, really love it. I, I concur with everything that my excellent co-host has just said. Um, it's certainly true that we wanted to find a way to really hold on to the core skill set 
um, that we had acquired going through the academic process. And there really is no way to do that unless you're actually engaging in the process of doing history. Um, so we found a way that would allow us not just to do the history, but also to present it in a way that would hopefully be more accessible to people who were no longer in the university system or um, had an interest in Rome, but wanted to delve a little bit deeper. And yeah, it's going well. We're still going, mm. still happening. We have people listen. It's nice. <laughs> and now there are about a billion podcasts. <laughs> there are a billion yes. podcasts. Yeah, we're, we're one of them. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. we jumped a, a in. A fabulous edition you are. <laughs> much later in the game than you. When, when did you start Partial Historians? Oh, God. It was 2013. Oh, that, that's wow. like in the early days of podcasts. No, it yeah. really was. It really we were was. young women. Uh, yeah, Re Rex Factor was about the only reference point I had for what a history <laughs> podcast was like. <laughs> uh, so you've uh, mentioned uh, your university days, and obviously you are both doctors. You know what you're talking about, um, <laughs> <laughs> unlike us. Uh, so what are your doctorates in exactly? Mine is literally in Spartacus. I'm not joking. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's in history on film, if I'm being uh, a bit broader, but pretty much Spartacus. <laughs> really specifically Spartacus, yeah. yeah. Um, mine is on the Vessel Virgins and looking at their role in politics and how that changes in the transition from Republic to Principate, or essentially early empire. Why, why did you choose those areas? I wasn't kidding when I said it was because I watched you, you Spartacus as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> really had an impact on you. Yeah, I, I honestly, it, it honestly was that. I happened to watch it as a teenager and I started studying history on film and i just been reading up on it because it was the one I knew about and my supervisor said, hey, how about you stick with that? And I said, sure. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's such a straight path. Oh, mine, mine is so much more confusing than that. Um, I started wanting to be an Egyptologist, and then I fell in love with the Greeks, then I fell in love with the Romans, and then it was the end of the undergraduate degree, so I had to choose a research project. Ooh. So I chose Romans because that was my thing at the time. And I studied the Flavians for my first research project, and within that, I was looking at iconography of uh, Flavian women. And this led me into thinking that the Vestals needed more investigation. So then I, I was like, I need some background on them. And that led to the dissertation. And it just sort of kept spiraling further down this <laughs> rabbit hole, um, which is kind of how research projects work. And you're like, oh, where does it so end? And it doesn't end, really. I still love it. <laughs> so who's your favorite Flavian then? Uh, Julia Titi, so the, the the daughter of Titus. Oh, right, okay. I don't think we even mentioned her in Titus's episode. So uh, She deserves her own episode. Women yeah. do tend to get overlooked in these, uh, these very yeah, masculine they do. cultures. <laughs> um, talking of which, uh, segue, <laughs> yeah. let's talk about another man, Spartacus. Um, <laughs> So, uh, well, actually, before we get into Spartacus, obviously we have just covered the three Servi Wars. Uh, mm. uh, we did one episode on each. Uh, uh, we didn't plan to do that. I, I genuinely planned just to do a Spartacus episode, or maybe mm. a two-parter on Spartacus, and then I, I just kept getting dragged into the other two wars until I thought, ah, let's do one on each. Um, 
do you do you have any views on the, the Servile Wars as a, a trilogy? Uh, do you have a... a... <laughs> do... Stay tuned for yeah. the final episode. Yeah, the <laughs> Servile Wars with Spartacus. Well, uh, exactly. Shifting to the mainland. Um... <laughs> Spartacus is a bit of an outlier in the trilogy. <laughs> it, it's, it's very different to the other two, I think. Yeah. And, and that's probably why it is the one that most people know about popularly, I suppose. Um, the other two are very suspiciously similar <laughs> in some yeah. ways. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to dispute that. I think they're quite unique. Um, but I would also say that the idea that we think about them as a trilogy is really a later imposition. Definitely. Uh, yeah. The mm. Romans seem to be caught on the back foot every time <laughs> there is a slave revolt. And it happens three times in a big way, but there are smaller ones happening sort of throughout the period as well. So the, the idea that we think of them as this sort of set of three is, is kind of the way that we read the narrative evidence. Historians love putting labels on things and we love categorizing things. It does make it easier yeah, to a certain extent, but it, it also means that maybe we, we tend to think of them when you approach it at a subject you kind of like, oh, you know, we're going to delve into the three servile wars. Mm. The Romans had no idea there was only going to be three. Uh, they had no idea that any of them were really going to happen. They were very unprepared uh, for how their economy was changing in relation to slavery mm. and the implications of that play out in front of them. And they're not ready at, at any moment. <laughs> no. uh, and I think <laughs> it's fair to group the, the first two together. Did, did they see the uprisings as more of an annoyance? So I was always oh, not really a serious thing. We don't have to worry about it. They always seem to have that impression. I mean, it must be must be glorious to go through life with such a confident sense of your own superiority. Why Why do you think then, if there was these series series of uprisings, uh, why is it that Spartacus's uprising has become so popular in history? Then, what is it about Spartacus that ignites public imagination? I think there's a crucial difference between him and the other slave leaders, and that is that he is a gladiator. And there is something always appealing about gladiators, whether they are horrifying or sexy or whatever it is, but they arouse pretty strong reactions in people back then and in people now. And Spartacus alone has that has that status. I think that has something to do with it. And I think also the fact that he was his revolt took place on the Italian mainland and not on an island, I think also has something to do with it. Uh, it was something a, a little bit more terrifying about just how close he was to Rome. I think there's also something to be said for the fact that he doesn't style himself as a king. No. In a way that the mm. leaders of the revolts in the first and the second really do try to take uh, some of the sort of Hellenistic and Eastern traditions into their revolt mm. and sort of set them up as uh, monarchical figures um, to lead this. Spartacus doesn't seem to go down this path, no. which is a very interesting difference, I think, and also makes him a bit more relatable. Well, why do you think that is? Why, why, why didn't he try and claim to be king? Because it seems like a very obvious uh, path to go. Uh, to if you want to command people and lead people i think he, he does cultivate an image of himself as a leader but i think he he seems to be going for more himself as a general uh mm. more as a commander figure and and that seems to be the path that he's going down i don't know whether that's because of his 
cultural background uh, compared to the other leaders of the slave revolts and like where they come from and therefore what's most likely to have influenced their ideas. But he, he also has military training, which not all of them do. Um, so he's, he's equipped to go down that path. And also, again, I think the geographic differences, um, him being in Italy, them being in Sicily, uh, it's a bit more possible for them to set up a new system in a yeah, contained sort of yeah. way than, than for him to just be like, hell, I'm going to be king of Italy. <laughs> Guess what, guys? <laughs> Get the me a pizza. over yeah. <laughs> and I'm now the king. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's, much, it's easier, I think, with something like Sicily, where you're kind of like, if we can just claim this island for ourselves and there's enough of us, we outnumber the people who own us. If we can get out of this enslavement, then actually this can be where we're free. And that's not really true of mainland Italy at all. No, that would have been tough. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't really true of Sicily either. Um, but <laughs> Not forever. But <laughs> no, uh, I mean, they came close. But, but they had a good crack. They had a good crack. They did. They did. Okay, so, uh, I mean, Spartacus is one of the biggest names in Roman history, uh, which, imagine if you could go back in time and tell some very famous Romans uh, that one of the biggest names in Roman history would be Spartacus. I imagine they'd be quite surprised. <laughs> because a- apart from Julius Caesar, Antony and Cleopatra, essentially the ones that Shakespeare's named, possibly Nero... Maybe Commodus. I'd say Spartacus is possibly in the top five recognised names. Yeah, uh, for sure. Why? What What led to that? Because, in fact, well, you you just answer rather than me saying my <laughs> theories. I will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, again, the gladiator thing probably plays into it a little bit here. Um, you know, the Romans themselves had this very fascinated relationship with gladiators, and I think that that definitely helps. Um, it adds a certain amount of sex appeal, and it makes him a bit, you know, special and violent and brooding and all of those sorts of things. Um, but also I think it has to do with the fact that He's, he's a prominent figure, yes, but because he is a slave um, and he is someone the Romans wouldn't really care about until he does something that forces them to pay attention, the source material is contradictory or vague enough um, about parts of his life and revolt that there's a certain amount of freedom to manipulate his story um, and, and make it serve different purposes. And that story, uh, when people look back on it, I think is often a story of the underdog, you know, the mm. little guy daring to take on the empire. And there's something quite enduringly appealing, I think, about that. What do you reckon, Dr. G? I think that has a huge amount to do with it because his story sort of acts as a template that you can then impose your own reading on, regardless of where you are in history. So he gets picked up by different people and it's always for this underdog quality. And that can be parlayed into a new story that you want to tell about your own oppression or the oppression that you see going on in the world around you. And it focalizes it through a character who comes across in our source material as being pretty noble. Um, he gets a pretty good rap from a lot of sources uh, from the ancient world, which I think serves him in good stead. Um, he... yeah, he's, not just, he's not just a two-dimensional brutal you know rebellion leader he he's got you know yeah he's got nuance (laughs) yeah he's not set up as like just an arrogant character as well he he's sort of set up as somebody who seems to know how to lead and to be good at it and is charismatic and for some reason 
instead of this damning him in the source material, this leads to a, a slightly different reading than what we get of the characters in the first and the second Servile Wars. Yeah. And, and I think that's interesting. And finally, to add on to that, he has the love story angle, which if you're going to be making a, a new story about Spartacus, you really need to have a love interest. That's, that's like a key thing. <laughs> um, and so because Plutarch... It really preserves, humanizes something. Yeah, yeah. It? Because Plutarch has this really interesting story, which is maddeningly brief about his yeah. his wife, um, it means that Spartacus has a built-in love interest option, which uh, not everybody has, if uh, especially if they're not a Roman. Um, to have that little detail about his life is very intriguing. It's very reminiscent of like Victorian romanticism, in a way. Um, that comes a lot later on, sort of like you, you put so much depth and layer into something that probably wasn't there originally oh yeah i mean i don't think the romans were like oh he's such a romantic hero <laughs> take yeah. me now big boy guy. don't kill him yet <laughs> i want to see how the love story plays out yeah no yeah. I, I definitely don't think that they were hooked up on that particular angle but later on i think people were mm. thinking all right you know who can we who can we make a story about this guy he had a yeah. wife or, <laughs> that's that's a good angle for us to take yeah his, his wife is is an interesting uh little bit in the sources. I did find it interesting that she takes the role of the uh, the almost the mystic can talk to the gods role, yeah. which the leaders which, themselves yeah, which from makes the first you wonder, two wars. Yeah, it makes you wonder, is this true? Or is this Plutarch just wanting to include this kind of detail about Spartacus and, you know, foreshadow? But it's also a convenient <laughs> yeah. narrative in a way because we do see that sort of like mystic religious element attached to the charismatic leaders in the mm. first and second Servile Wars. But it's problematic when it's attached to males, it seems. And by separating out and giving it to Spartacus's wife, you both have the advantage of having it in the narrative without him being tainted with those kinds of associations <laughs> because they're a little bit controversial as yeah. well. So... You say, uh, he, you're almost saying he's a, a bit of a blank template then. That Definitely. He, he's got a, a good core story that you can throw your own bits on and create yeah. something new with. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's only a few details that you can 100%, well, I mean, that you seem to be, you'd be confident enough to say, yes, that is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, can you give us some examples in history when people have grabbed hold of the Spartacus name? <sighs> All right, hang on a second. Let me reach down and get my very long list. <laughs> um, okay, so here we go. First off, I'm going to use a real-life example. So between 1791 and 1804, there was a slave revolt on Haiti, and the guy who was the leader of that revolt, the only successful slave revolt in history, was dubbed the Black Spartacus. His name was Toussaint L'Overture. <laughs> Um, so he's obviously channeling Spartacus vibes in real life, and uh, he had more success than Spartacus actually had with that name. Uh, <laughs> who, who, <laughs> then, who dubbed him hmm. that name? Was that a name he, he took on himself, or was that...? I'm actually not sure. I'm honestly not sure. I feel like I, feel like I get the impression that other people started calling him that, mm. and that he was like, yeah, I am the black Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> 
Much like Dr. G is now Dr. G because that's what I kept calling her. <laughs> I accept this. Enough, that's why Jamie's Jamie. I mean, his name's yeah. actually Fred. Uh, but I just insisted. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when you have Napoleon uh, running riots all over Europe, um, there was an uprising in Austria by a guy called Andreas Hofer in 1810 um, and that seems to have inspired a fellow Austrian to write a play about Spartacus uh, and that guy's name was Franz Grillparzer and he did that in 1810. Uh, in 1831 over in the States you've got The Gladiator by Robert Montgomery Bird. Uh, now this the meaning of this is a bit disputed but it I tend to like the version where it's a commentary on relations between the US and the Brits. I'm sure you'll appreciate that. Guess which one you guys are. That's right, the evil empire. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, we wear it proudly. We not have it any other way. Yeah, but it's, it's possible it was about, you know, the horrible slavery that existed in the United States as well. There's mm. uh, multiple ways of reading that. Um, then during, if we go over to Europe again, Italy having the Risorgimento movement um, and, you know, the uniting of, into the Kingdom of Italy, um, there was a very popular figure who came out of that movement, uh, a guy named Garibaldi. Uh, and after it was all over, an ex-comrade of his decided to write a, write a novel about Spartacus in which Garibaldi seems to have been a fairly... Uh, inspiring figure for him. Oh, but... this is great. I love this because yeah. this means that the Italians are embracing Spartacus back as one of their own. Oh, yeah. 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 That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Now, 1865, this is a big year because this is when Karl Marx says that Spartacus was awesome and that sets him off on a trajectory which changed the, <laughs> the course Only of history. Only the communism. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I, I noticed uh, when I was reading uh, from one of the sources uh just the one line about how all the loot was shared evenly between all of them. Yes. Uh, Jamie, you picked up on that immediately. Uh, as... Dirty communists. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, is it literally just that one line that you think uh, sparked Marx? Uh, or do you think it's more the wider, wider picture? It's hard to say because uh, Marx doesn't say an awful lot about Spartacus. It's just that what he says, you know, cements him as being, right, this guy's a hero to Marx, therefore a hero uh. to the rest of us communists. But I think that it probably has, it probably is very much to do with that idea. But I think it's also the fact that, again, as that underdog figure, you know, standing up against the system, mm. um, people in communist or, you know, or more socialist interpretations of Spartacus have tended to see him as a hero of the pro proletariat, um, someone who stood up for the working class. Now, we know that's not quite what he was, <laughs> but, um, but hey, you know, whatever floats your boat. So, yeah, that, that just gives all of those things just give you an idea of how he was picked up, you know, all over the place. Um, and, and then, of course, it continues on and on and on into the 20th century. Um, the most notable one, I think, being that in 1917, you've got, uh, sorry, not 1917, um, you've got, um, well, you've got the formation of the Spartacus Bund in 1917, and that eventually leads to them trying to seize control of the German government, um, and, you know, that not ending well. But they called themselves the Spartacus League or the Spartacus Bund, um, and they obviously found Spartacus to be quite an inspiring uh, figure. They apparently said, and I quote, Spartacus means the fire and spirit, the heart and soul, the will and deed of the revolution of the proletariat. See? 
And uh, yeah, so that's important because that is what inspires Howard Fast to write about Spartacus eventually. So the fact that they used him means that Howard Fast ends up coming across him and Howard Fast's book inspires the 1960 movie. So it's a one link in a chain reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you've just uh, brought up the movie there, which is what I was going to talk about next. Obviously, bit of a fan of the film, yeah? I am. I am just a bit. I think you might be. Yeah. <laughs> how, how many times do you think you've seen it? Ugh, I, I honestly have no idea. You're better asking how many times has she made me watch it? That's quite a few as well. <laughs> lies. It's all lies. I think I've only seen it twice. It, it is like a three-hour movie. So I don't I, think I'll, that's enough times. Yeah. No, I'm I don't sorry. think that is enough times. And one of them, it was on in the background whilst I was eating oh. a Christmas dinner. Ooh. So Ooh. I don't think that counts. Uh, <laughs> we should watch it, Jamie. We really should. Yeah. Um, so the film, um, why why was that made? Uh, what was the point in that film? Uh, and uh, I think if you're listening to this and you, you just think, oh, it's just a, a film about Spartacus. Uh, there's nothing more to it. That's uh, what I'm thinking. Might, <laughs> might be <laughs> interesting to learn. There's, there's a whole lot more, which I didn't realise until I listened to your podcast. Um, yeah. There's a lot going on behind this film. Yes. So, so what what's it all about? Well, I mean, uh, the most direct reason why it gets made is that Kirk Douglas gets turned down for the role of Ben-Hur. <laughs> That's the most trigger. <laughs> He's annoyed, and he makes his own movie. Yeah, he he really really wanted to make a, a you know sword and sandal type film, but he wanted to be the hero. And when he gets offered the role of the bad guy in Ben Hur, he chucks his toys out of the pram and says, "Fine, I'm making my own sword and sandal <laughs> film." <laughs> Uh, and it just so happened that uh, Kirk Douglas, uh, this is where, the, as you say, the more complicated backstory comes in. So the 1950s was kind of an interesting time to be in Hollywood because the studio system, where you had just a couple of major Hollywood studios very much in control of the production of movies, um, so much so that, you know, everything was really contracted to them, like stars were, you know, committed to serve them under very strict conditions for X amount of years, et cetera, et cetera. It gave them a huge amount of power, but in the 1950s, that system was starting to fragment, and Kirk Douglas is a part of that story. He was one of the earliest Hollywood stars to set up his own production company, which meant that he had a little bit more freedom than other Hollywood actors might have done at the time to do what he wanted. And so he had a couple of guys working for him because it was still early days for his company, and one of them, his wife had just happened to read Howard Fast's Spartacus. And she said, hey, what about making this into a movie? Um, and, and Edward Lewis thought it was a great idea. He gave it to Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas thought it was exactly what he'd been looking for. Um, and so that's, that's partly why the, the, um, the movie was made. But I suppose the existence of the book reads into the, the broader mm. background as well, in that Howard Fast uh, had been a communist in his life. And he had been one of the people who'd come up uh, against HUAC or the House of Un-American Activities Committee. And he refused to give them the information that they wanted. He refused to implicate um, other people because, you know, the whole naming name things that some people might be familiar with at this point in uh, American history. And so as a result of that, he ended up getting sentenced to prison for contempt of Congress. And whilst he was there, he was obviously, you know, feeling a bit down on life. And it's uh, while he was in there that he came across the story of Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht, the founders of the Spartacus League. 
but he decided it was maybe a bit bit too soon, bit too touchy to <laughs> write a story about what had happened to them because for those of you who don't know, their revolution against German the German government fails miserably and they end up being tortured and killed. So maybe maybe bit, a bit, bit too on sensitive. The nose. Yeah, yeah, so instead yeah. he decided to write in this dark period of his life, he decided to write about the man who had inspired them. And so he wrote the book Spartacus. Uh, once he emerged from prison, he tried to get it published, but he was blacklisted, which means that no one would work with him. So he took a gamble and he self-published it, and it was a pretty big hit. And so hence it being able a few years later to be put into the hands of the man with the best chin dimple in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a, a really interesting period of American history. Um, yeah which uh, we'll be getting to soon, Jamie, uh, in our American series. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I do love it when things can reach across history like that and just have these such strong links from thousands of years apart. One Absolutely. person's actions having an influence on someone else's. It's, uh, well, it's, yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's also what you want to read into it because a lot of the people, not everyone, but a lot of the people who were involved in, uh, in making Spartacus, because it, it is a, a real team effort, <laughs> um, a lot of them had uh, Jewish backgrounds, um, Kirk Douglas included. His, his real name is Isur Danielovich. And as a result of that, when they were growing up at that particular time, you know, the early 20th, early 20th century in, a, in America, a lot of them had experienced um, horrible bigotry, anti-Semitism. Um, and I think that made them all a bit more predisposed to this idea of the underdog, of hmm. identifying with slaves. I mean, Kirk Douglas explicitly says that he felt that his people had a connection to, you know, like the slaves of the, of the Roman system. He might be slightly off track there, but you you know where he's coming from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's like I said, it's a fascinating uh, background to the film, and obviously you are a fan of the film. But yeah. is is there anything you think that it didn't do very well? Something that it got wrong? Uh, definitely the women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's not a great storyline for female characters in the final film, which is a shame because basically what my thesis was about was that there would have been if they had stuck to the earlier vision for the film. It would have been actually pretty amazing, but they ended up dropping it and cutting it down and editing it out, and as a result, the women are pretty stereotypical for mm. you know a, a nine what is essentially a 1950s film even though it's released in 1960 it was being made in the 1950s and so you when you people who watch it and don't know the backstory probably think yep barefoot and pregnant that pretty <laughs> much seems on par but it, it it would have been much more than that uh what about you dr g is there anything that you hate <laughs> <laughs> oh look i i don't know that i have any as such strong feelings about the film as to hate anything about it <laughs> Um, but I, I do think that there is some interesting parallels that seem to be drawn that suggest there's a, a Christian element here, which mm. is obviously a bit of a, a Hollywood and American reworking. Yeah. And mm. you can see the way that Spartacus is again being adapted uh, for a new context, a new audience and particular values. Yeah. And I think that's a, a new layer to Spartacus that we see coming through in this film. It's not the only version, I think, that's going to be doing this kind of thing, but it's definitely a fascinating element from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you talk in in your podcast about uh, big and little Spartacus, um, <laughs> which I, I thought was a really good way of uh, explaining it. Uh, what, what what do you mean by big and little Spartacus? Well, I wish I could take credit for that, but I really have to say that's not my idea. <laughs> that's uh, that's Dalton Trumbo's. Uh, version of what he saw on the screen. Don Trumbo was the blacklisted screenwriter who ended up receiving credit for Spartacus. And that was the first credit he'd received in 13 years uh, when the film was finally released. And that's why Spartacus is popularly known as having broken the blacklist, which it didn't, by the way, but that's a whole different Mm -hmm. story. Um, But Dalton Trumbo, when he was working on the film, uh, they put together the rough cut, which is, you know, the the rough edit of this is what we think the final film is going to look like. He was smuggled onto the film lot to watch it with Kirk Douglas and he was horrified. Mm-hmm. He was completely gobsmacked. He was like, what is this? <laughs> uh, and when he went home and sued on it, um, as he was wont to do in his bathtub, probably with his parrot on his shoulder and his pipe, uh, he, he started to pinpoint exactly what the problem was. And he was so passionate about this film because obviously it was very tied to his own career at this point in time. He knew by this stage that, him, that getting credit was a very big possibility and that was obviously a huge deal for someone who'd spent the last 10 years fighting against um, HUAC, fighting against the blacklist. Um, so he really, really wanted this film to succeed um, but also I think on a on a values level he wanted the film to succeed uh, and put across a, a vision that was uh, in line with his political sympathies, I suppose. Um, and. He, he basically said that he thinks that the, the key problem is that there's a small Spartacus and a large Spartacus and they've been sandwiched together. The large Spartacus has um, big ideas. You know, he's a, he's a leader. He's the equal of the Romans. He's fighting for idealistic reasons. He's got an eye on the, the, the bigger picture. Um, so he, he's trying to end slavery because it's a terrible system for all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a true hero. Whereas the small Spartacus is someone who just wants to get the hell out of that ludus you know get his girl hit the hit the uh, hit the road never see the rest of those bozos again get back to thrace yeah exactly just just looking after himself looking out for numero uno that's what it's all about <laughs> and he's has leadership sort of thrust upon him and he it sits uneasily with him and he has a lot of doubt and he wrestles with the responsibility and you know, he sort of has to really work himself up to doing the right thing. Um, and so he saw this these two competing visions of Spartacus in the film and he thought that was a huge problem. Uh, and and he, he saw it as being a problem just because it wasn't going to be a consistent story. It wasn't going to make sense to the viewer. Which do you think, in real life, do you think he was closer to big or small? <laughs> I think he might be closer to small, to Ooh. be to be honest. Um, I sense we're going to disagree. I'm going to keep talking until I get shut down. Um, I think small because getting out of the ludus, that's a small act of defiance. Getting a whole bunch of other people out, okay, that makes it easier for everybody. So obviously having the numbers there makes sense. From that point onwards, though, I think he might get dragged into something that maybe is beyond what you're thinking because to get out of that ludus and to have about 70 men with you and for you guys to get back to Thrace undetected, that should be possible. Mm. But to decide 
at some point or to have thrust upon you this idea that maybe this could be something more that maybe we we could defy rome in some way these people have already been captured and enslaved they know what the roman system is like to a certain extent it seems like a ludicrous idea to go along with um I would just be running as fast as I could, <laughs> I think. All right, I'm going to jump in here now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to rescue Spartacus's reputation from the mud that Dr. G has distracted. <laughs> uh, no, look, I, I totally get what you're saying in that we do have in the source material um, Spartacus deciding that, you know, why are we fighting for entertainment purposes when we could fight for our own freedom, guys? We do have that, which is a bit of a small small Spartacus idea, um, and that obviously does make sense. But I actually think that, in a way, part of the problem is that the small and the large Spartacus exist side by side in the source material. Mm. Um, You do have sources that are more negative towards Spartacus and would tend to be more small Spartacus, but then you do also have this vision of him as someone who actually is quite a noble character and, and a true leader. Um, certainly some of the details that we have preserved that I would say, now that is a fact, a spot fact. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are things that indicate that he was effective in terms of organizing his forces like an army, you know, training mm. them, getting the proper weapons and all of that kind of stuff. They're attested in, those stories are attested in multiple sources. Um, and so I, I can't help but see him as a bit of a large Spartacus character myself. It's probably the romantic in me, having studied him for way too long. But what do you think about the moment where they turn around and they come back towards south into Italy? Like yeah, they, but... they almost get out. They do, but then it pulls them back in. No, I, I, I think that um, like I think that, that, but I don't think that has anything to do with necessarily with whether he's a large or a small Spartacus. I think that has more to do with the. Um, admittedly, his failure to direct them in the right way, I suppose, or his inability to do so because they probably have competing ideas about what it is they want to accomplish. Um, but I just think in terms of his actual character, I can see why there are conflicting opinions on him. And that's I think that's part of what fuels the, the endless debate mm. about what he was doing. I mean, he could have walked away. I mean, what what was stopping him really like there were other slave leaders he could have left that that alone makes me think he's the large Spartacus so I I did find it interesting uh actually diving into the sources which I'd never done Mm. for Spartacus obviously I knew the story or thought I knew the story um Uh. and then when actually digging into the sources I assumed there would be more about him standing at the foot of the Alps going I could cross the Alps here and actually it never even mentions the Alps. Uh, he gets to the Po Valley uh, to fight a battle according to one source, uh, mm. which isn't mentioned in any of the other sources. Uh, it's, yeah. It is uh, this idea that he, he was forced to turn around or he almost left itself is could almost be seen as an invention uh, because it's, it's not really supported. But, yeah, that, that surprised me. Yeah, I don't think the Romans probably knew all the ins and outs of what was going on in that slave army. I don't know that they knew themselves. I mean, yeah. hell, there was probably over 100,000 of them. So, Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here. The other thing that surprised me was uh, the fact that Mount Vesuvius is only mentioned once and briefly. I, I assume that was one of the spout effects, was everyone knew he went up uh, Mount Vesuvius, but no, according to... Is it Plutarch who just says he went up a hill? 
Um, I can't actually rem- off the top of my head. I can't actually remember which is the account that actually mentions Vesuvius specifically. But um, there certainly is um, testimony that they were up a hill somewhere where they escaped with vine ropes. Yeah. Um, so that that's a, that's a Sparta fact. The escape is a Sparta fact. But um, <laughs> and Vesuvius makes Vesuvius does make sense geographically. Yeah. Um, you know, given given the region that they're in. So um, yeah, you know, what the hell. It's Vesuvius. Oh. And it's, <laughs> sure, it's a, why not? It's a good backdrop if you're going to have your yeah. vine story, definitely. Yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, well, um, I mean, there, there's no segue here, uh, <laughs> apart from the fact that <laughs> in the series, they had that scene. Um, yeah, we, we've talked about the film a bit. Um, yeah. And obviously there have been other Spartacus things uh, since the 1960s film. Uh, but uh, one of the bigger ones is uh, HBO um, releasing a series, Spartacus. Um, mm. Very different to the film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yet borrowed from it a little bit, I think. All oh, right, okay. Um, so what, what did you think of the series? I did really enjoy it. I mean, it was, you know, typical stars kind of fodder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lots of lots of gore, lots of sex, lots of uh, painted abs, etc. cetera. <laughs> um, but I, I did really enjoy it, actually. What did you think, Dr. G? I, I thought it was actually a really fun way into Spartacus because <laughs> you got to see a really expansive set of characters, uh, some of which we only get sort of name-dropped in some mm. of our sources, and we get to play around with what seems to be like a really clear drive for like queerness and homoeroticism. And I'm like, yeah, that would definitely (laughs) be how the gladiator school would be. This is so how this would happen. Obviously you put all of these really hot men together and they're going to be like, Hmm, I've got nothing better to do. Just waiting around for my next battle. Um, You were really great in the arena today. (laughs) I really loved what you did with that sword. And so I I thought that added a lot to uh, a modern Spartacus, actually, like bringing uh, the Ludus to life. And you get some really like off the wall sort of characterizations, (laughs) which I really just, I kind of love the camp of it. Like they really went hard (laughs) on that aspect. And I thought it added something to it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Uh, I watched the first 15 minutes of the first episode years ago. <laughs> and when I can't watch this. Uh, I, I just can't <laughs> oh, do so you it. guys aren't fans. Oh, oh no, no, wait. Because then, uh, years later, uh, I came across your podcast and I was listening to the episodes and then uh, hit the... Uh, series of episodes that you did based on the series because you did one episode per series of the uh of the series strange yes. sentence but you know what i mean um, yes. yeah uh and i listened to them because i was listening to all your episodes uh and it's like is this the same series that i watched the first 15 <laughs> minutes of and couldn't bring myself to watch it uh and it turned out it was so i went back and i forced myself to watch past those first 15 minutes and in the end really enjoyed it i i thought it was just great fun uh ridiculous but yeah you get invested and i just think it was a really bad opening um but <laughs> no the, it, look to be honest i think um i i actually remember when we were planning to do those episodes because that was yeah they were some of our earlier episodes so back when we had no idea what we were doing and um 
I remember Dr. G having to watch the, the whole series. And I, I think I do remember at first she was, you know, she watched a couple of episodes. She's like, really? What is going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, what no, keep happening? going. Push through. You can do it. Um, and yeah, in the end, it, it, do, it is one of those series, I think, that kind of sucks you in. And look, I must admit, I'm a bit, because I'm a history on film TV person, I tend to get a bit enthusiastic about the uh, the creative elements of history that are involved in telling history this way. Um, so I'm probably a bit forgiving. Uh, I'm sure other people would absolutely tear it to shreds. I think I'm, I was more of a stick in the mud then, and I've actually come more around to your perspective over time. Because, because I yeah, refuse to I'm accept anything else. I'm one of those people who's always nitpicking about historical details when I watch stuff. Uh, but, but in when you're, hindsight... Yeah. Actually, I think it's quite fun. When you're lacking historical detail, I mean, this is the whole thing. And mm. this is why I love looking at history on film and history on TV. When you are lacking historical detail and so much is up in the air, historians themselves get creative. There's no, there's no point in denying that that's not true. History involves imagination in a hefty dose, particularly if you're doing ancient history. Mm. And I think that TV and film series actually just highlight what we're actually doing ourselves as academic historians. Yeah, yeah. I've never understood why people get upset when things aren't historically accurate in a film. Look, I I admit I get a bit hot under the collar when Caesar keeps turning up in Spartacus stories. (laughs) (laughs) That is a bit awkward. Yeah, yeah. But but it's it's just um, what I think the interesting part comes when once you calm down and you get to ask the creators, okay, so why? They usually actually have a really interesting answer, and that's where. That's where the the interest lies. That's what gets me really passionate about history. And I think it's also the sort of thing where it's like these kinds of series actually encourage historical engagement. Yeah, and yeah. They cause people to ask questions and then people do want to delve a little bit further. And with something like Spartacus, as we've seen with the source material, it's very piecemeal and there's all sorts of odd things that crop up only in a single account. And there's so much scope for building a story out of that. Which is, and I think they've done a really good job incorporating so many of those mm. little elements that come through, and building it in a way that is engaging and you are emotionally invested. I, I must admit, I'm genuinely impressed that they managed to make the first series, the entire first series, uh, pre the outbreak. Yeah. When I mean that's that's nothing in the source material. That's like two sentences. Uh, but none of well, it seems yeah. like completely pointless filler. Uh, it all seems to pay off. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it just allows spending so much time in the ludus, um, even though it's not necessarily to do with Spartacus's story. I mean, we don't know, but it does allow them to have characters, you know, like Varro, who's a volunteer mm. gladiator to get rid of his debts. And that's something that we know happened. Um, so it, it does allow you to engage with a history of the gladiator as opposed to just a history of Spartacus by fleshing out the whole Roman world a little bit more. Um, I mean, the Romans come across really badly, but that's, you know, part of the course. <laughs> they always do. Um, and I don't know that they're quite as evil as... I mean, don't get me wrong, slavery is horrible, but <laughs> I don't know that they're quite as uh, as lascivious as they come across in <laughs> these sorts of stories. Um, but I do like, I do enjoy that sort of detail. And one of the things that I suppose really hit home for me with the series, and this is totally because of my my interest in the 1960 film, the 1960 film has a really complicated production history um, and 
because a lot of the because some of the people involved like Dalton Trumbo were blacklisted there's a paper trail which is what I studied and I got to look at all the different script versions and all their research notes and all that sort of thing and I know what they were originally attending that film to be and what they what they had was they had a bigger role for Crixus. They had these Amazon warrior women fighting alongside Spartacus and his crew. And <laughs> the TV series finally delivered that for me. You know? And so it was very emotionally satisfying to see the, I mean, the relationship between Crixus and Spartacus in the TV series. Oh, like, oh, my heart. <laughs> uh, and, and so, yeah, it, it, for me, it was, it was like the fulfillment of the prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you definitely need to watch it, Jamie. Uh, Jamie has not seen the series. Uh, oh, yeah. Jamie, and, uh, Jamie, Jamie. Pop that cherry, Jamie. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I have done that. While talking, I've ordered the 1960s version on, on Blu-ray, so I'll be watching that soon. Fantastic. Very nice. <laughs> Continuing your tradition of buying things whilst interviewing people. Uh, <laughs> Very subtly. Oh, yeah, no, it's good. I didn't notice. Um, <laughs> right, uh... Great. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about Spartacus at all? Ooh. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm. I feel like I am spent. What about Ooh. you, Dougie? <laughs> I think the only other thing I'd mention at this point yeah. is that don't overlook a good Spartacus ballet. Oh yes. That's, Ooh, that's yes. all I would say. Yes, yeah. I, I listened to your episode on that ballet. as well. Um, yeah. yeah, that sounded fascinating. Jamie, it you're going to have to do another purchase. I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yet another Oriana. communist Im- imagining of, of Spartacus. <laughs> so uh, uh, this is an, an entire ballet based around the story of Spartacus. Yeah, look, I went to see it when it was out in, uh, they, they staged it in Australia a couple of years ago and it did not disappoint. That one. <laughs> nice work, Jamie. Incredible. Yep, there nice we work. go. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. want to go Bolshoi, that's for sure. <laughs> Isn't it something like six hours long or something? Or have I exaggerated uh, it, that it, in my it, mind? It was originally very, very long, but the version I saw, I mean, this is the thing. Ballets are, are, are interesting to study because, like with anything live, you can chop and change it, you know, depending on what version you want to stage at that particular moment in time. So the one I saw was actually only about three hours long. If I was going to say, yeah, actually, it, was, it was about two <laughs> hours. Mere three yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was, a, it was a, well length, a well-sized and length ballet for a modern audience. Yeah. This was like 2018 when yeah. we saw my, the performance. My yeah. stepdaughter fell asleep minutes. in it. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Well, I'll look forward to watching that with you, Jamie. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Tights, it's always good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about Spartacus. Um, but now we're, we're going to bring back our traditional from the last time we did a recording. Um, yeah. How well do you know your co-host quiz? Mm. Which, oh, uh, this is more stressful than knowing things about Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jamie, you don't need to do the jingle. I think I've still got it from last time. So uh, oh, that, that's fine. Uh, it's a very good jingle. I was impressed. How well do you know your co-host? Right. Okay. So uh, if you've not listened to our interview with uh, Sark Thing from last week, uh, then this is uh, five questions I've sent uh, to each co-host, and they have answered, but they now need to guess each other's answers. So, let's find out who's the best co-host, shall we? Uh, Dr. Rad, let's start with you. Ooh, okay. (laughs) 
Oh no, obviously, no, I asked Dr. Rad this question, so Dr. G, you need to tell me. Oh, uh, okay. I, right. I asked right. Dr. Rad, who is your mm-hmm. third favourite Roman figure in the Julio-Claudian period? Third favourite. Okay, yeah. all right, this is going to be tough. Uh, Tiberius is clearly the favourite, <laughs> and anybody after that's kind of like hit and miss. Um, maybe Claudius. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I went say? a bit obscure. I went a bit obscure on this one. Uh oh, it's going to be a woman. That's fine. No, no. Damn it. <laughs> I went. I went Tacitus actually. Oh, I, what? Because he was born. He was, he was born under Nero. I conclude him as That's like a. He's not a Julio Claudian by no, any stretch. I, of I thought imagine. it meant like you know in the period, like the general. To be like fair, alive at the time. Question. Yeah, to be fair, it said favorite Roman figure in the Julio Claudian period. So I think. Oh. I think you Oof. can have that. I think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why, why Tacitus? Oh, Tacitus is the whole reason why I got into ancient history. I had absolutely no aspirations to be a historian or to study ancient history until I read Tacitus. He is just brilliantly cutting. <laughs> <laughs> good enough to be your third favourite. That's, that's exactly. good to know. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, Jamie, are you are you recording points? Yep, zero for Dr. G so far. Oh dear, oh dear. Right, well, let's see how this goes. Let's see if I can go full donut. (laughs) Okay, so I asked, uh, who is your third favourite Roman figure in the late Republic period? Oh, God. (laughs) The third favourite again? Yeah. No. You've got to know your co-host really well. Oh, (laughs) oh, no. Oh, Crixus. Ah. Oh. <laughs> any consolation, I don't actually remember what I said. <laughs> you say you didn't put thought into this. Okay. Um, your answer here was Augustus Caesar. Wow. Ooh. He's did I, high did up I the list. say that? Oh my god. High up the list considering That's, how uh... much you complain about him. Uh... <laughs> I so don't actually remember that question. I must have completely blanked on that. <laughs> So you have no reasons for that answer then? No, I, I, hon- I honestly don't remember I think that it's question. fine that I didn't get it right then. Yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> fair enough. That's, uh, that's zero for zero so far. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> okay, next one. I asked Dr. Rad, uh, you are a rich senator. You're in Rome as Caesar crosses the Rubicon. Which side of the civil war do you fight for? Mm, um, not Caesar's side. Uh, actually, I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, Caesar all the way, baby. I mean, Caesar. Yeah. What, what, why? Why did you say not Caesar? Uh, well, like, because I'm like, she likes Tiberius, and Tiberius is all about restoring the Republic. So I thought she'd go with the Republicans, oh, not the guy sense. that's complete autocrat. Ah, <laughs> uh, Republican schmubblican. Caesar's yeah. got charisma. I made such a mistake. <laughs> oh, how dare. Okay, that's still still zero. Okay, no, I. Look, that's tough. I'm hoping my answers are sufficiently difficult enough that you do terrible. <laughs> I'm sure they will be. I asked Dr. G, uh, you are a rich senator in Rome. Uh, the civil war between Mark Antony and Octavian is hotting up. Mark Antony has just met Cleopatra. Which side of the civil war do you fight for? Oh, wait, so this one's for me. Okay, yeah, good. All yeah. right, well, this, this one's easy. Uh, there's no way Dr. G would not fight on the side of Octavian. No way. Why, why do you say that? Uh, uh, Augustus is, like, her really, really, her, like, her favourite person. <laughs> Go on, do you want to give the answer? I'm pretty sure I said I'd fight with Antony. What? 
<laughs> this this is why I get you to send the answers beforehand because that you definitely crazy. said Octavian. He's young and <laughs> I know you better than you know yourself. <laughs> That's awkward. He's young and I'm inspired. And also, what Ooh. is Mark Antony doing in Egypt? That's yeah. a good question. Cleopatra. Yeah. Cleopatra. Yeah. Is I, an I agree with my former self. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All oh, right. So that is one point uh, for Dr. Yes. Rad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, question three. I asked Dr. Rat, what is the most pointless war that Rome has fought in in the Republican early empire period? The most pointless war? Yeah. No, surely it's the one against Sextus Pompey. <laughs> no, I think he said early Republic. Like our period, what we're looking at now, I think. Early Republic? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the stuff that we've been doing episodes on. Mm. <laughs> mm. The most pointless one must be the one where all the Fabians die. Yeah, well done! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Yeah. <laughs> uh, totally. I'm, I'm impressed. A point. Yay! Yeah, you got a point. Which which was this where all the Fabians die? Um, this is one against Faye. Yeah, yeah. They keep heading north. It's a disaster. Yeah. Apparently, the whole family got wiped out. Is but this it's not the true, is this the three hundred Fabians? Yeah, so 360, yeah, yeah, yes, one. yes, I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah, they decide to take themselves off because they reckon they'll save Rome themselves. <laughs> Hubris, I say. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, always interesting how how many times 300 comes up in history as a defending yeah. number. <laughs> Something about the number, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, right. Uh, I asked uh, Dr. G, what ritual slash activity do you find most bizarre about Republic-era religious festivities? Oh, good God. luck. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Oh, I'm, like, I'm feeling pretty confident about my answer for this one. She, I remember what I said. She knows so much more about religion than I do. It, this is never going to end well. Um, oh, God. Pick something good. <sighs> Look, I'm just going to... I'm going to go for the one that always makes me laugh when we talk about it in the early Republic. And that is the whole, um, uh, the fediales and the fact that you have to go to, go to the enemy and, you know, make all these declarations and then throw a spear into the enemy's territory. I'm just going to go for that. Cause it always makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> a good fediale ritual. Yeah. yeah look, sorry. No, uh, it doesn't involve the vestals. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> is it burying vessels alive? Nope. Uh, okay. <laughs> go on. I don't feel explain bad what what did you go for? Ah, uh, I chose the Fortikidia, which uh, happens on the fifteenth of April, where they sacrifice thirty pregnant cows. <gasps> and I know. And <laughs> Jamie's they, face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they cut out the unborn calves. Oh my god! And the vestal. <laughs> The chief vessel has to burn those calves and reduce them down to ashes. Oh, I feel sick. And they pound them into uh, a substance after that, and then they use them to purify things at the Perilia God, about a week as, or so later. It's almost as disturbing as Australia's like live export industry. Blech. Yes. <laughs> Yes, um, it, but I find that pretty disturbing. That is really disturbing. It's yeah, very no, disturbing I, to I, me. I'm glad I didn't know about that. <laughs> and now I'm, you I'm do. Sorry. I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. <laughs> uh, okay, how are the scores going, Jamie? Uh, Doctor G has one. Yeah. Doctor Rudd has one. Ooh. 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 <laughs> Everything to fight for, nothing yeah. to lose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I asked Doctor Rad. The year is approximately 100 BCE. What is your job? Where do you live? What are you up to? 
I can't help you. Don't look at me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a question for you. No, no, no. It's no, a question no. for you. No, no, that's a question for you. It's a question. Wait. It will be a question for both of you. This is the only time ah. I ask the same question. All right. So stop. Let's stop. Oh, Abbott and Costello no. in here. Answer the question. <laughs> no, no, you answer the question. All right. Fine. All right. I'll answer the question first. Okay. Dr. G, what would she be up to? <sighs> Ooh, this is a tough one because part of me wants to say that she thinks she'd be a Vestal. But that would mean that she couldn't have sex. Correct. So, and then there's also a chance that she might get buried alive if she smiles too much. So I'm going to say that she's a patrician lady living the good life. All right, now you answer. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I think you're a senator and you're probably relaxing in your country villa. (laughs) I think I literally said that as my second option. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But you said, if I was a man, and then you said just that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, nice work, Dr. G. So close. So close. Oh, God, and what, what did you both say? Um, I, I said if I was a man, I would be in my villa writing history. And I think I said if I was a woman, yep. I would be probably being an adulterous elite Roman lady. <laughs> what did you say, Dr. G? Um, I said I was a patrician woman. Aha! A great time. Yeah. <laughs> my second husband. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, okay, I think you can both definitely get the point for that round. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, final question then. Is it, is it two apiece, Jeremy? It is. Yep. Oh, tiebreaker. Okay. I asked Dr. Rad, you can go back in time and save the life of one Roman historical figure. Whose life do you save and why? Oh, she's going to get this one. It's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she's going to save Spartacus. But maybe I'm Tiberius. She's gonna save Tiberius. <laughs> what from the uh, pillow? Maybe not as easy as I thought. I don't know. Apparently not. <laughs> not Tacitus again. Despairus. No. <laughs> You're just listing now. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm flailing. I'm clearly wrong. You. you Agrippina. Are. Agrippina the Younger. Who else to save? Uh, Agrippina the Younger. Uh, Why would you yeah. save Agrippina the Younger's life? Ah, uh, I think I just. She did so much stuff that was just hilarious. <laughs> she caused so much grief in her life. I just want to see what would happen if she was around for another 40 years. Also, you want to get the real story, I think. I do. I want to save those memoirs. I want to mm. say, I've saved your life. Now you owe me the memoirs. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I accept inevitable defeat at this point. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but there is still this question. I still have to get yours right. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Final question. You must okay. go back in time and assassinate one Roman figure in history. And the word must is in there, so you've got to kill someone. Who do you kill and why? Assassinate someone. Who would I kill? I feel like the obvious answer would be to kill the enemy of your beloved, and that would mean Mark Antony. Is that right? (laughs) Now, I'm going to say... I, I'm slightly confused by your answer here, Dr. G. <laughs> Ooh, okay. I'll explain. Go I'll on. explain. Um, I said I would assassinate Octavian. <gasps> what? I know, shock. Shock twist. <laughs> the person, <laughs> by the way, twist? because in a previous question, you said you're joining his side in the Civil War. So you, oh, yeah. you've just killed him. And then, and then I'm going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was it just to get close to him? <laughs> it's all part of the big plan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why would you kill him? You love him so much. 
I'm mostly interested in the counterfactual uh, history that would emerge. Like, okay. what would happen in Rome? <laughs> Imagine you saying Octavian... this to him as the light leaves his eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just for counterfactual historical purposes, I swear. I just need to know what would happen yeah. if he didn't succeed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Your mind is it's twisted. It's all for curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm very interested. Like, what would Rome be like if Octavian did not have the career that he has to me that's really fascinating he'd have to go as much as i (laughs) I (laughs) (laughs) wow okay wow i did not see that coming i love you so i have to kill you (laughs) that's what they all say yeah (laughs) i don't do you do you think do you think the empire would have still been created yeah i suspect so it's just it would unfold in a very different way maybe a more messy way than it does. Yeah, definitely more messy. Yeah. Octavian kind of gives it a really horrific, clean start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't imagine that with Mark Antony somehow, can you? I really can't. No. And Cleopatra maybe being like the Empress. Ooh. Oh, those two would just be a hot mess the whole way through. Yeah. That'd be amazing. That would have been amazing. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm starting to be one round killing off Augustus just to see what happens now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, we've made a pact. Yes, that's <laughs> we ever get the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Jamie. I, I think we know, but reveal the scores. Well, Doctor G, you scored a grand total of two. Doctor Rad, you, however, scored a total of two. Two. You are equal <laughs> co-hosts. We yeah. are. We are. Uh, the whole way through. Jamie, we need to find more people to interview so we can actually have a winner in one of these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Because <laughs> people drawing all the you, time. I don't know if you want to disrupt the harmony of the co-hosts. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this, this could have turned ugly. This is ultimately the best way that it could work out for us. We, we yeah. are here to break up podcasts. Yeah. This, <laughs> this, you know what? This whole interview was just a ruse to get rid of your, your rivals, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, we're playing ah. the long game. Uh, <laughs> you don't care about Spartacus. Sparta who? Um, right, well, thank you very much for coming on and talking about Spartacus and playing silly games. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank you. We always love talking to you guys and uh, even more when it's about Spartacus. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. If you're listening and you've not checked out Partial Historians yet, why not? Definitely go and do that. Loads, loads of episodes about all sorts of uh, things, mainly um, areas that we don't cover in Totalis Rankium as well. Uh, <laughs> the really obscure parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, a lot the of... The early Republic that nobody cares about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We care. We, we care. care. We care. Yeah. I, I care. It's, it's fascinating stuff. I, I listen and go, oh, we definitely need to go to the early Republic at some point. I keep suggesting <laughs> it as a, a Senate-only episode, and our listeners keep saying, no, we want more later Republic <laughs> stuff. Uh, but one day, one <laughs> day, we will get there. They we'll don't know what they're missing. Republic. They don't know what they're they missing. <laughs> I think this is the real key to our success, really, is that people don't realise that the early Republic is very interesting. Yeah. It is. yeah. It is. Uh, so, yeah, go go check out Partial Historians if you've not. Um, and I think that's all we need to say. Thanks very much, guys. Great. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Do need to record an intro. Okay, let's go. Yeah, that will do. Partial Spartacus. Okay, um, partial Spartacus. Partial Spartacus. There we go.
that will do. That was an easy one this time. Unless you can think of any others. Sparty party. <laughs> Sparty party. <laughs> we can't call the episode Sparty party. <laughs> but maybe we should.